Welcome to the Addiction Connection podcast, connecting the hope of the gospel with the heart of addiction. I'm your host, Mark Shaw, but I am not the only host. Today, this is a tripod. We are trying it out, and then there are three hosts today. Jim Quigley, which you can see on your screen. Why don't you wave to everybody, Jim? And CJ McMurray. Why don't you wave, CJ? There they are. So we're co-hosting this. In other words, you guys are going to have to carry the load. I'm, I'm not going to do this all by myself. Mm. <laughs> ribbit, ribbit. Well, uh, we are trying this out. This is our first video podcast, and CJ's having some technical issues. So he may be in and out. It may just be Jim and I, which is okay. Jim and I get along really well. And uh, we'll, we'll be fine without CJ, but CJ kind of adds some of the spice, doesn't he? And there's Jim coughing. I'm going to be coughing too. I'm fighting a, an illness. I muted it though. Did you hear it? Did it come through? No, I did not hear it. It was great. Yes. All right. All right. Um, yeah. Well, I just want you to introduce yourself, Jim. Tell them a little bit about Freedom Farm. Sure. My name is Jim Quigley. I'm in um, uh, uh, Boone, North Carolina, which is a, a western part of the state of North Carolina up in the mountains. And uh, I have been with uh, Freedom Farm Ministries, which is a one-year, four-phase program um, for men and women that struggle with substance abuse. Um, we're Christ-centered, uh, biblically based. And um, um, yeah, I've been, been here doing this uh, moved throughout the program. I was once a resident of the program, um, then became a worker in the program. And I'm still a worker. I'm just uh, the executive director now. Um, but I have a great team and we've been uh, doing this uh, faithfully. And, uh, you know, your prayer before the, the start of this, I have to write something for a newsletter. And I'm really, uh, I've been asked to, to write my heart. Um, and I don't want to make people feel, people feel guilty, but you really do feel like there, there's not a lot of people paying attention to this giant problem we have in this country when it comes to substance abuse and the true answer for it. I mean, there's, there's a lot of people, a lot of noise over here about, about solutions they've come up with it uh, for right. it, but um, you and I would both uh, have a lot to say about that. So, Yeah. You know, I, I think I posted on Facebook that, there's more chatter about monkeypox, which is only affected, I don't know, 10 or 12 people maybe in the country and um, <laughs> very little talk about drug overdoses, which are happening every five minutes. Somebody dies from a drug overdose and yet the attention is monkeypox. And I think we all know fear is a tool that sells, you know, so um, and manipulates. So that's that's what's going on, I think. Um, and here we have a drug addiction crisis and who's listening? Very few. So we're thankful for all the listeners, everybody tuned in to this program, this podcast, tripodcast, uh, which we lost one of our legs, CJ, but he may be back. He just, he's trying. So he's, he's, well, I don't know. He says he can't get back in. I don't know. Yeah. We'll have to. <laughs> well, we can go it alone. Um, I want to talk first about current events, and we'll call this Redeeming the Times, based on Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, which says this, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making best use of the time because the days are evil. So Redeeming the Times is the name of this segment that we want to talk about current events are you ready jim i'm ready ready all right first current event dwayne haskins football player he played at ohio state was a star there then drafted by the washington they're not the redskins anymore they're uh, uh i can't even think of the new name do you know the new name of the washington they were the washington football team and now they're now they've got a new mascot or something but anyway he signed on with Pittsburgh Steelers and he was hit by a truck on the interstate, which when you first hear that story, it sounds a little sketchy. 
and he was on the interstate. He was trying to get gas, and it says that he was uh, at least twice the legal limit for alcohol, and he had ketamine and another drug in his system. And so very tragic to hear about this. He had a woman that was not his wife in the car. I don't know who she was. Maybe she was a relative, uh, but she was in the car and was kind of a witness to this. But very tragic to hear about a young 20-something-year-old NFL quarterback uh, getting hit by a, a, a truck because of you know, his, his intoxication. Do you have any thoughts about that? about uh the uh the young man being hit by the car yeah i mean what when you when you hear about something like that what do you think of well i'd like to hear what the thing is is that it's really um popular to jump in and um and start giving a a giant so all the sides will start giving an, an opinion um i'd like to know a little bit um uh, about what the backstory, but it sounds like to me, you got uh, somebody that is um, uh, young uh, that has come into a lot of money um, and um, and uh, uh, has a lot of resources to chase after his desires and is doing so. And um, these are the consequences um, when we chase our desires into sin and uh, that can cause death, you know, and destruction. So, um, those drugs in his system, uh, a woman in the car that's not his uh, his wife. Um, these are all uh, red flags that uh, this guy was head bore into his desires. Yeah, yeah. I I'm just I'm saddened by it too. I mean, it it's a uh, it's a great tragedy. Um, you think about a young man who is so successful. I mean, uh, Ben Roethlisberger, the former quarterback of the Steelers, said, "Man, I wish I could throw the football like like uh, Dwayne Haskins could." And so, um, very talented guy, talented athlete, uh, and yet not satisfied. And like you said, headlong into his desires, and uh, it's too bad. And I, I don't, I don't want to, you know, I I don't know, but. Uh, I know, you know, it's another tragic death to yeah. drugs and al- alcohol in this case, which is a drug in liquid form. Mm-hmm. I was, uh, I was, I was thinking you were going to tell me that uh, there was some controversy that was coming out that, like, he was the reason why is because he was suffering from some kind of, you know, concussion injury or something. Mm. You're often hearing that, you know, something like that happens, and it's not that the guy was following after the desires of his heart. It's not that it's, you know, let's talk about all these things to make sense of a guy that has it all right. Why they would do that. And it's never that this is, this is a a person chasing the desires of their heart. It's, it's something else. That's what I was meaning by jumping in and hearing what people are saying about it. Um, but yeah, it's an absolute tragedy. Um, because, you know, um, I was actually talking about it today in a, in a, in a CABC training. Um, someone was talking about, uh, you know, <clears throat> chasing after worldly things and, um, and uh, not chasing after God as a believer. And we were talking about how to counsel someone like that. And they mentioned that, you know, I would tell them that, that, uh, that you know, you may find temporary pleasure or whatever in those, in those worldly things but that eventually they will lead, lead to uh, destruction. And I said, well, agreed, but also don't forget to tell people that the Bible does say that, that there are people that are not, that don't belong to the Lord, that do find great prosperity and great um, success in chasing after all things. And so you may want to challenge that person as if they are enjoying all of that stuff, knowing um that there is a holy God that deserves worship. Um, are you even a saved person? You know, so yeah. that's something that we need to. But here, you know, the world looks at it and says, the "Guy has everything he wants: all the money, all the fame, all the success." And why would they flush their life down the toilet like that? You know. So. Yeah. Yeah, it could have been us. You know, yeah. very easily we're. Very grateful to be alive and uh, 
Well, yeah, I, I, I read something like this and uh, it, it happened, I don't know, about six weeks ago, but the story came out that, you know, it was fascinating to me. He had ketamine in his system. There are ketamine clinics going up all over the place and they supposedly treat depression mm. and you're basically hooked up with an IV in your arm and you've got this, you know, this hookup and they pump you full of ketamine or a little, little drips of it. Probably didn't take a whole lot. And it causes you to escape into another world. You see bright colors um, and you're in that session for 50 minutes. I don't think anybody talks to you or anything, but you're just under that, the spell of ketamine. And then you come out of that and supposedly that helps your depression. And I'm, you know, I'm skeptical. You're probably skeptical too about, uh, you know, what a 50 minute drug induced session does for depression. I don't know. And, and the side effect is people have a headache afterwards. So their head really uh, bothers them. And there's other side effects too. And I just don't see it. Uh, long term is, I mean, maybe it makes you feel good for 50 minutes and hopefully there's some kind of benefit there. They're really popular, but uh, I mean, this is a, a drug that's like a, you know, almost a psychedelic kind of drug. Yeah. You get into um, talking about the history of treating depression through, you know, um, medication and means like that. And it's, it's pretty interesting if you were to sit down and look at it, you know, um, that, that, fairly brand new history, you know, um, uh, you know, you got, you got, uh, SSRIs that were developed to increase serotonin levels in your brain because of a chemical imbalance, whereas they're still widely prescribed, but, um, they actually don't teach chemical imbalance theory anymore. So that's always made me kind of, uh, question what's going on there. Um, plus they still, have no way of telling you what your actual serotonin levels are in your brain. And, and uh, you know, you've started to kind of, kind of move into, I think, I think in the last few years, there's been a real uptick on things like micro dosing, which is like micro dosing uh, hallucinogens. And um, I forget what that drug is called the Hiawasa, Hiawasa. These, those are, those are big all over Twitter. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. I don't know. You go to a place and like you fast. It's almost sounds like a peyote thing where you Mm. take this, you take this high, high, this root or whatever. And, Mm. and it supposedly shows you your inner being. And, um, you know, it's gotten into this, like this thing that was, you know, largely described as scientific is now becoming kind of out there if that makes any sense you know i mean yeah ketamine i was a raver back when i was 17 and everybody was using ketamine to you know as a as a part of the rave scene it was a designer drug i mean yeah people loved it back then but um but yeah yeah uh, but now they're they're obviously giving it to people for depression from what i understand isn't it like some kind of an animal tranquilizer i'm, I'm not I'm not that positive well, they call it uh, cat, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, they use it for that too. That's right. Look at you, man. You're like a walking uh, pharmacist there. Well, 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 yeah. Kind of had to be if you were going to be a <laughs> like the type of drug addict that I was for years. Um, yeah, you had to know exactly what you were getting out of people's cabinets. But, uh, but yeah, ketamine was always joked around. It was like it was like a tranquilizer for animals, and I never. I mean, that was just rumors. I'm just, I'm not saying I know that for sure, but people, that's what people would say about it all the time. I was not a big kit, special K is what we called it. I never, yeah, I never, right. I never was into that. I'd rather take the ecstasy back then. So. Well, another news item is this uh, deep brain stimulation. Uh, and you've, I don't know, have you heard much about that? Uh, I know you, I, I, I read that article a little bit. Um, man. They are really so like this, this kind of goes into the what I'm saying. So now they're they're wanting to drill holes in your head, put electrodes, and stimulate your brain in order to try to relieve feelings of depression. And actually, the articles that you sent for me to read 
didn't mention using it for depression um, uh, or drug addiction. It didn't mention using it for drug addiction or cravings, but I, I thought that's what the jest was that it was going to maybe start being used for helping people with cravings for, for drugs. Yeah, the um, so deep brain stimulation is where they cut these nickel size holes in your head and put these electrodes in and I guess run the wires down to a little box, kind of like a pacemaker, but in your neck and our area. I don't know how exactly how it works, but you have these wires, these electrodes that shock your brain and try to stimulate it so that you don't crave. And, uh, and it was used to treat depression, used to treat Parkinson's disease. And now they're talking about it for drug addiction. They've only done three surgeries that I know of. One, the guy relapsed. Um, he went right back to drugs after the surgery. A second guy is doing better. He's helping other people. And he lives in a, in a safe home, like a halfway house. And he uh, also um, is on Suboxone. So he's got an, an, a drug to help him uh, in addition to the surgery. So they mm -hmm. kind of give the surgery credit without this other stuff. And then a third guy had uh, surgery because he was desperate. I mean, he was uh, afraid to die on addiction and, you know, and fear of death is solved in Jesus Christ. That's, that's what it's all about. Um, but yeah, this, uh, this brain surgery, I mean, the, the reason I mentioned this after what we talked about with depression and, and ketamine and, you know, special K, which are using for depression now is if they think it's a brain disease, then they think, okay, brain surgery makes sense. It's a brain disease. We can solve it with brain surgery. And so logically, I think they get away with it. But I'll tell you my biggest issue with this, and I don't mind saying this publicly, I think it's unethical. I mean, what ethics committee pass this as an experimental, you know, surgery for drug addicts, who, who passed this, who, who cleared this to, to be used in this way. Um, and are they, I don't think they're valuing the addicted person's life. I think, you know, they would say they are, but I think it's exact opposite. I think they're treating them like lab rats with an experimental drug surgery that, um, to me shows they don't really value life like we do, especially the life of a drug addict. Well, I would, I would probably counter you and say, um, I don't know if it's, they, they just understand life differently than us. They, they fundamentally view people differently than us. Okay. So I, I tell people in like your little elevator speech, um, when you're trying to explain this, um, that, these are materialists that, that believe that human beings are inherently good. And if given the right set of circumstances, we will self, we will, we will improve. We will self-correct. And the problem that human beings have gone down is because there are certain set of circumstances in life, whether it be, you know, nature, nurture environment, whether it be biological markers in the brain is what's causing them to to be self-destructive or or live lives that that would not be um beneficial for their own self-interest so their whole way of looking at people is like if we could just correct if we could just correct their environment or correct those biological markers those people would then be free to succeed which you and i um, believe the Bible describes human beings completely opposite. How so opposite? Well, okay. How so opposite? It, the, uh, we believe the Bible says that people are born inherently bad, that we are turned in on ourselves. We want only for us. We, 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 uh, we, we are sinners by birth and by nature. So um, we need Yes, uh, I guess we need, people would call it a biological uh, fix, but we would call it a spiritual fix. We need a new heart. We actually need God to come in and remove this heart and give us a new one and then give us a, like an indwelling life-giving spirit to enable us 
to do better. And really, it goes against the nature we struggle with here on this planet for the rest of our lives. And we, we struggle with that. So it's like, um, life is a constant struggle to be more like Christ, not that if I just fix a couple of markers or an environment, I will naturally flourish because I'm inherently uh, a good person and looking out uh, for my own self-interest in a good way. So, yeah. Well, and you're very gracious to, uh, to them. I, um, yeah, I, I hope you're right. Um, you know, it, it, it's, uh, I, I do think people with a different view are trying to help and they're doing their best. And like you say, they see the data differently than we do the self-correction and all that. Um, and that's very gracious of you. I'm, I'm well, I would say there. that the data doesn't support that what they're doing really is working. That's why they're mm -hmm. trying all this crazy stuff like drilling holes in people's heads and sticking, you know, yeah, things in their brain to stimulate the brain. I mean, they're literally running out of answers because this is the frustrating thing about working in addiction. All out of all the efforts they've done, what has what has happened with the problem? as far as people dying from addiction, it's at an epidemic proportions now, even with all of this stuff that they have done, none of it has produced any kind of lasting results. So they're just trying to figure out something. But the thing is, is they keep beating on the same dead horse that fundamentally they believe that this is caused by not the person of their inner person they believe this is outward influences that have made this person into this in this way, or maybe um, biological markers within their body, their chemistry that has caused this problem. Um, it has nothing to do with them being a fallen human being in need of redemption. So, yeah. Well, and I think to me, like you say, they're getting desperate and, uh, and the addict himself, this James Fisher was the third, one to have the surgery he's desperate but i think they're desperate and i think they're hopeless like they see this as a disease there's no hope so um you know he's going to continue on in this so let's give him a fifty thousand dollar brain surgery paid by the the nida uh paid by nida to uh take care of this you know this problem and we'll just do this experimental thing and hope that it works and it and it supposedly worked with one guy it didn't work with another guy so they're 50 percent. but uh man i'm uh yeah i'm just uh i'm kind of a beside myself on this one but i don't know what else they'll try after this do you what what would be next oh what were you gonna say i don't know what they would would try but nothing will shock me no, nothing's yeah. going to shock me i mean I mean, Mark, they used to lobotomize people, you know, so, you know. Leeches, yeah. yeah. So um, all of this is done in the name of science. And I've always struggled with attaching um, science to that because it really just doesn't seem to fit what science is supposed to be, in my opinion. But I'm not a scientist, so I'm not allowed to have one, I guess. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, this is really just, this Are is a, a mixture of of philosophy um uh this is like philosophy um mixed in with with scientific steps i guess i mean because that's the best way i can explain it that's good yeah it's philosophy it is i guess um you know this is this is something out of one of your um sci-fi shows you know what i mean uh, probably yeah oh absolutely you know what um, you know, for the audience, it's maybe stuck with us to this point. Um, how, how, how do they, how do they, how do they um, uh, uh, mark success in any of this stuff? Like, how is it all these guys, how, how, how do they track success? The mm. person tells them it worked. That's it. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it worked. I mean, that's really how all these things get their 
success labels on them. Why do SSRIs work? Because 40 something percent of the people say they do. Yeah. 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 Because it's DBS, deep brain stimulation, it's a surgery. It, It falls under the medicine science subheading. And I would argue, like you just said, it's philosophy, it's theory, it's, it's experimental and, um, and it's worked one out of two times, which to me is enough to say, okay, I, let's do something a little less drastic. Is the one that it worked with the guy that was taking Suboxone? Yeah, the guy it worked with, he was taking Suboxone. He was in a halfway house and he had had this brain surgery and he'd been clean two years and was helping other people. So, which is so a guy that was taking a very powerful opioid that is supposed to, 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 it's prescribed to people to take away their cravings supposedly had his cravings taken away from brain, deep brain stimulation through these electrodes. Now you're getting it. Yes. Yeah. The electrodes that take away cravings didn't work apparently because he had to take Suboxone Mm -hmm. as well to take away the opioid cravings. But really, I mean, again, if you just look at it, they're throwing billions of dollars at trying to take away cravings with medication assisted therapy and it's not working. Yeah. People are dying at a higher rate now than they were last year. So um, you know, they got to come up with something. Yeah. Medication and now brain surgery. Uh, who knows what's next? I mean, removing, you know, and, and, kidney. and, but think about this just to be, I guess, gracious to their side. If you are, if you are a person that has ever seen someone in active drug addiction, mm. it is the craziest looking thing. It makes no sense. These people that have all the all the ability and 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 potential, just continually throwing their life away for a substance that has completely destroyed their lives, even to the point to where if you lock them in a room for six months and keep them away from this substance, you let them out, and nine out of ten times they run right back to it and do it all over again. Mm. It's they're just trying to figure out how do we get these people to stop, you know? Yeah. And so they're, they're trying to... and it can't be religion, you know, because that's just a made up thing. That's yeah. not scientific. So we got to do things in the name of science. So let's yeah. drill holes in your head and put electrodes in there and stimulate your brain. And maybe that will, I mean, it sounds scientific. Maybe that'll get you to stop doing that. Yeah. Well, and, and that's what's unfair, I think, to our side is they call it science, but yet they say our faith is unscientific. We would say our faith is, is as scientific as your unscientific science. Right. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. Yeah, I mean, because they have faith that they believe they understand the cause of this problem, and they, they have faith that they believe that these are solutions, because none of that stuff not their their definition of the problem and their definition of solutions is all is all their own faith and again that's the philosophy key in it all those are all theoretical things that they're dealing with i mean again most of the audience listening to us probably thinks that chemical imbalance theory is still a a widely uh used thing and it's not they don't even teach that anymore whenever i say that to people people look at me like i'm i'm a some kind of a conspiracy theorist they're like, what are you talking about? Of course, that's, I still have parents tell me on the phone. You know, my son has a drug problem, but he also has a chemical imbalance problem. Do you think you can help him? You know, and I don't have the heart to tell him like, science will tell you he doesn't have a chemical imbalance problem today. Right. The so same science <laughs> that told you that that's what the problem was before. Right. Yeah, it's interesting, Dr. Lance Dotis, the, uh, which we both know as the Harvard uh, psychologist or psychiatrist, I can't remember which one, but uh, this guy is very bright. He's written several books, The Heart of Addiction. He's written The Sober Truth. And I recommend everybody listening, get The Sober Truth book by Dr. Lance Dotis, because he basically demonstrates that AA and 12 Steps were 
um, promoted by the Rockefellers. They, they put money behind it. They had some good press. I forget the name of the publication. It's probably not in print anymore, but that it really pushed AA as something viable that worked. And then the American Medical Association got behind it. And Dr. Dotus, a Harvard uh, medical doctor, says there wasn't real science and real evidence behind it. You know, we talk about evidence-based in this world. There, there wasn't there for the 12 steps, the, the AA program, and yet it was promoted and accepted widely as the way to get clean and sober. I'm grateful for it in the sense that it, 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 it centers around the spirituality part of the problem, because that's where we agree with AA that, yeah, it's a spiritual problem. It needs Christ. It's not a higher power. It's the one true God, the one true higher power. Right. But Dotus helps you to see that when you read that book, to see that this didn't have science behind it, yet the AMA got behind it. Rockefeller, good press, and and then it would just became widely accepted, and over time, it's just kind of been like the chemical imbalance theory. It's it's okay. It's accepted. That's the way it is. It is pretty amazing how things go mainstream, and um, you know, I mean, and they just catch on, and uh, because, and then and then they become taboo to speak out against. Um, and in yeah. our case, in our case, we don't we get accused of, of, of being mean spirited or whatever by, by, you know, casting doubt on or speaking truth into those types of things. But, you know, you and I would, would, would honestly say, we believe that it needs to happen because it's actually causing more harm. And, yeah. and, and if you, if you don't understand that, um, uh, then you just don't understand the position really. Um, you're not willing to look at the real data behind all out of this stuff, you know? Um, yeah. so, I mean, you ever, yeah. how many people have you ever met that said, you know what, if we were able to use 90% of our brain, we'd be flying. You ever, you ever heard that before? <laughs> yeah. I hear that all the time. Do you know we use like 96% of our brain? You know, it's like these things get into our society and, uh, and they just become these urban legend myth type things. And you can't, you can't tell people any different, you know? Right, right. It's pretty, it's pretty hard. There are a lot of myths out there, and I won't mention them, but uh, people who know me know what I'm talking about, and uh, it is very sad to me how unthinking believers are. We have God's word and to help us to think through things and to know absolute truth, and yet we just accept the world's ideas as fact. Mm -hmm. You know, and I told my wife, I said, you know, people will believe anything but God's word. They just doubt God's word. They don't act on it. They don't believe it, but they'll believe anything that there are aliens that came down and seeded the planet and that the big bang theory is true. And that there's this multiverse now, or this upside down, like in the stranger things uh, show. And, you know, there's all these, you know, alternate realities and all this stuff. And um, really what they're searching for you and I know is the Lord Jesus Christ. Wait a second. Is you are you saying Stranger Things is not based on a true story? You know, it seems so true. <laughs> the upside down and the uh, demagorgon or whatever that is. Yeah, yeah, it's not true, Jim. I know you thought it was. I thought that's what happened when you played Dungeons and Dragons. You got sucked into that world or something. <laughs> yeah, true story. I uh, well, maybe I shouldn't say it, but. Uh, when I was a kid, the Stranger Things uh, show is my age. Like I was exactly the age of those kids in 1983 when that video uh, was made and was cast. I was that age. So it's very fascinating to me to watch that and hear the songs and, and all that. But my dad, I had a Dungeons and Dragons game and my dad was convinced it was bad and we, we disposed of it through burning it in my backyard so we burn it got rid of it and i never played D, D again so i don't know that i really even played it the first time but uh he he did not uh see it as a good thing and i'm glad i had a dad like that honestly i mean yeah. you know, it sounds pretty extreme but he he loved me so that was good 
Yeah. Well, we have a new visitor, a new face here in, uh, and uh, I don't know if you guys have met. This is Josh Coleman from Tennessee, the Nashville area, Mount Juliet. Am I right, Josh? Are you in Mount Juliet? Yep. Mount Juliet, just outside of Nashville, just to the east. Just to the east. Beautiful area. Wow. And are you at Mark Mann's church? Is Mark your pastor? Yeah, he and I and one other guy were co-elders there, and he's the head pastor. Mm -hmm. Now, how often do they let you preach, Josh? <laughs> uh, well, it's how often do they let me in the building? Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm preaching probably three to four times a year. There's others that are in the rotation. So the uh, Mark's preaching probably about 45 times, and then it's split between a couple other men. Okay. Well, good. Well, now, do you guys know each other? Jim Quigley. This is Josh Coleman. Josh, Jim. I don't know if you met. I have heard the name, Jim, but no, we have not met. And I don't know if this is an official meeting. I've uh, officially met several people online. I don't know if that is uh, legit anymore. <laughs> It, times are changing aren't they so <laughs> we got to redefine re redefine things so well are you going to yeah. go to the summit i'll shake your hand and we'll make it all official if you're there so <laughs> sounds good sounds good well josh uh tell us a little bit about your role in the church there as an elder and uh in the name of the church and and if people can come and seek help from you guys? Sure, yeah. Um, Grace Bible Fellowship is the church. We are not, we're non-denominational, but with the FIRE, the Fellowship of Independent Reformed Evangelicals. And as I had mentioned, there's three elders there, of which I'm one. One is the head pastor, one is our music leader. And the ministry that we have the Biblical Counseling Services of Nashville. I'm the director of that. So as the, the three elders, I'm the one who, who takes up that. And then we have other men, as I had mentioned, who were raising up. We have a, a pretty strong deacon uh, group of men, adding those uh, every few months. The, the service is, is definitely growing and very strong. Um, but yeah, we have many ministries. And one of the things that, that our church is really built on and built around a, an early foundation was biblical counseling. And so many of the members who are now there and have been there for 12, 13 years since we started, they came in on the back of biblical counseling. And myself, I, as I was joining, had a a position in a community ministry doing biblical counseling in the addictions realm. So coming alongside the leadership at, at GBF, I brought in some of that experience, but also many of the men that I was ministering to in the community came with me. And so we had that strong group of men who, as they were overcoming addiction, they were also becoming church members. But the other aspect of the, the biblical counseling services is that we're a, a certified training center with a, a curriculum through ACBC. And so we do that training not only in our church and equipping our members, but we also go out to other churches. So just Monday night, I was about an hour and a half away I'm meeting with a church who they actually have a lot of opportunities because they're right outside a military base and a lot of their ministry comes in the context of addictions and recovery. So my association with the addiction connection and my past in addiction recovery ministry, they're, they're all ears for how we can not only collaborate on biblical counseling training, but specifically on addiction recovery. Well, that's awesome. I love that local churches like yours are reaching out to help the addicted and their family members because uh, there's just so much need out there and opportunity. Yeah. Jim's church is pretty solid in that too. You guys uh, really help Freedom Farm. Yeah, the um, 
Freedom Farm is an independent um, uh, 501c3, but we only attend one church. Whereas in my experience in um, a lot of uh, Christian uh, treatment places, uh, they, they usually, out of necessity, had to have relationships with lots of churches in order for support. So they would, you know, constantly go to a different church or have pastors coming in from different churches. But, um, you know, I came to Freedom Farm as a resident, um, guy struggling with addiction myself. But I, I have this kind of a different story than the average person because I had been to Bible college um, before coming here. So I had the education where I could be, I, I could be ordained and be a pastor, but I was struggling with drugs and alcohol so bad still that um, I needed a place like Freedom Farm to come to. And because I'd been to a lot of places, uh, the fact that we went to one church and we were involved in one community and we weren't going, you know, all over the place all the time, just was really uh, um, something that gave me a lot of comfort and I really appreciated and I've never wanted to, I've had a lot of people that have wanted me to, to, to change and, and go to different churches and I've been very resistant um, at that change. And I'm glad that I'm glad that we still it's it's not always rainbows and unicorns uh, having having the motley crew come in on on Sunday mornings and Wednesdays and the the, the challenges that that come along with that. But um, I think our church uh, that we attend um, uh, very much uh, understand the opportunities that are there to be planting seeds and to see seeds that are taking root to to um, to. To, to grow them and in uh, through discipleship, and uh, so it's a it's a nice relationship that can be very messy at times. So <laughs> I see I see uh, Josh smiling, so he knows exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, probably got some stories yourself. So well, when you were talking about the community ministry being kind of a, a conglomeration of of different members from community churches. I previously worked in that context and it's difficult and personal decision. I don't plan on going back into that type model where you're collaborating with some who, while you're, you're seeking to be biblical, what your definition of that is, everybody believes they're biblical, but mm -hmm. once it comes to fleshing it out, it ends up not only confusing those who you're ministering to, but it can really detract from the fellowship because you're really applying theology and yeah. it didn't go well at its conclusion. I'll say that. Yeah. You're very yeah, gracious in the explanation. <laughs> yeah, that was good. Yeah. I've, I've worked in both. I mean, it, you know, a program that's just attached to one church versus a program that lets all kinds of churches come in and teach and sends the, the clients or the residents to a, a bunch of different churches on Sunday or a different church every week. And it just, um, like you say, it, I found it very confusing and difficult because I would get a lot of questions, you know, and, um, and then the more just, you know, questions about like, we heard this on Sunday, is this true? And cause the week before we'd heard something different, you know, <laughs> And, uh, and, and that's a frustrating place to be. And so, yeah. So, so you like what you're doing now, Josh, I take it. <laughs> well, yeah. Knowing that there's an elder board who we're all unified, we all have one another's, not only the best interest as it, as it is, but we also have one another's back. We have a unity in our thought and in our approach. And so, especially, and this goes to the community part of it, whenever you're teaching publicly, you can say things that may be a generality or, you know, maybe a broader teaching, but those who you're laboring next to, they have a name and a face that they apply that to. And without meeting them and having one-on-one -on -one contact, you can come off as unloving because you're speaking in a way that doesn't have the nuance that they can carry with it. So being in the church context and being one who has a, a singular view, there's a lot more freedom to it. 
just in your own peace and your own rest, knowing that uh, the whole elder board and the church is following the elders so that, you know, we don't have uh, conflicts there. Well, how did you find out about the addiction connection? <laughs> well, after the, the one community ministry ended, somebody had contacted me about a second one. And I said, I will get it up and off the ground. And that was in, we started that February 1st of 2020. And it's almost like you could hear the music, the dun, dun, dun. Because about four weeks in, everything got shut down. And while we were trying to get it off the ground, insurance companies weren't giving quotes, churches weren't open, pastors weren't responding. And so I had a little extra time and I said, I'm going to invest in something that would open doors outside of this office, because I, at that point, couldn't assume and anticipate that people would come in. So I needed to export it. And so I was looking for ways that there would be an added legitimacy and an added umph. And what piggybacked from that was actually, Mark, you had come and spoken at our church, and we had invited a community group. So they had already the connection. And so being associated with the group and making that connection for them was what I was looking to help open some of those doors that the community, and especially those who are making some decisions about recovery, that they had a familiarity with and I could, I could knock on a familiar door at that point. And I had a whole lot of time. I mean, a lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you said February, 2020, I mean, we all know that ominous music you're referring to what happened four, five weeks, six weeks later. I, um, I actually literally heard it in my head play as soon as he said that date. <laughs> it was amazing. Those weren't uh, hallucinogenic uh, post effects, were they, or anything? No. Microdosing. <laughs> Microdosing. <laughs> well, and, and Josh, I mean, you're a guy. Like I know I had talked to you a couple of times and I just thought, man, this is a talented guy. I remember a couple jobs coming open. People would email me. Do you know anybody? And I'm like, yeah, I got just the guy. And I'd contact you and you're, you know, you were uh, Nashville bound or Nashville held. I don't know what you call it, but, um, and I appreciate that. And, uh, um, but I had, I had jobs for you all over the world. Yeah, in fairness, the commute to South Africa was going to be a little long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was ready to send you, raise support, and get your, you know, your whole family. So now you have Ashley. You guys have been married 17 years. That's your wife. And three daughters. So South Africa is perfect. What can well, go wrong? <laughs> yeah, well... Only, only one of them can walk right now. So that oh. tells you just how acute the uh, parenting is in my home. <laughs> and yeah, Jim's got two youngins. How old are yours, Jim? Uh, Phoebe just turned seven on the 17th. And uh, JP uh, will be four September in September. So mm, seven and three. Mm -hmm. Woo. Yours are how old, Josh? I have two that will, two that are 21 months and then one that is five months. Oh, I didn't realize you had twins. Oh, my. Yeah, and the reason only one of them can walk is actually, it, I guess it's pretty common for little ones, but one of them fell and broke her leg. Ooh. Oh, no. So we have one that walks, one that crawls, and one that just rolls over. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I bet they're adorable. My, oh my, that's fun. Well, if you're going to ask me if my own children are adorable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty clear. Well, yeah, yeah, South Africa wasn't in the plan, but you know, you're now, you're the director of biblical counseling services of Nashville. So can people come to you? Uh, do you take outside the church help? I know our church, we're just counseling inside of our church right now. Uh, and I get inundated with requests outside of the church, but we just can't handle the load right now. The need is so high, but I don't know how you guys operate. I'd be curious to know. 
one of the aspects that ties into that is that if you were to look at a, a geographical map, Nashville being is central to these cities, we're the only training center between Louisville, Knoxville, and Birmingham. And if you go west, I think you get all the way to like uh, Kansas before you find one. So there was a big need there in the center of Middle Tennessee that just had an absence. And I had talked to Dale Johnson about the need for it. And so our plan is built out of that. We do take people outside of the church. Our church membership right now is about 60 to 70. And so taking them from the outside is, is quite logical in that. And one of the requests that we have is meeting with somebody from another church that they bring their, a member of their leadership, preferably a pastor or an elder. And so even Monday, I met with a man and next week it's required for him in order to come back that we have other men in leadership from the community join us. And it's not just because that it's an easy dynamic for some to use counseling as a vehicle to completely change churches. And we're not interested in that, but we want to help that leadership fulfill their God-given call to minister to them. But it also serves as a launching pad that those pastors are being equipped, but it's actually been out of that context that those pastors then, as they're vicariously receiving the biblical counsel, they then see the need for it in their own church. So it's, it's primarily a pastoral oversight, but secondarily, it's kind of a marketing tool to press biblical counseling outside of our walls into the community. Because without there having been a, a high familiarity with it in the area, you could just assume that very few are doing it, mm -hmm. much less doing it well. We have people coming to us from 80 miles to, to receive biblical counsel. So there's that much of uh, an absence in, in the middle Tennessee area. Wow. I really like that idea of uh, having them bring, a, now you said just another leader in their church or, or someone walking to, to help walk alongside them when they're back home or how, how, what, it, how what qualifies that person to bring them again? Yeah, well, it's going to be case by case, but what I'm really pressing in on is the man who has that Hebrews 13, 17, that authority over your soul. Okay. So this is the one that you're going to submit to. And so if we can get a pastor or an elder, some of the counsel, I take my attention right from the counselee and I turn right to the, the pastor, the elder, and instruct him on how he would now have to care for this person as they go. Beautiful. But some of these churches are, you know, three, four, five thousand people, and they don't even have the ability to bring a pastor. So at that point, I'm always looking for somebody who's influential, a deacon, a small group minister, someone. And my counsel to them is a find, to find a way to really make this stick and to really make it walk. So I have... Uh, regular contact with those people because I'm trying to build them up and in a sense they're serving as leadership but that's the best I have I, I have to work with just that that's a great idea that's fantastic actually so you'd be surprised how many pastors knowing that you're not trying to steal their sheep are amenable to come and to sit in on counseling they you know it's a soft pitch that they're growing in their own ability to privately minister of which many don't have the confidence because they don't, they don't feel competent to do it. But right. What they see is that they are. Yeah. Cause counseling is something you send people to that building down the street for. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Don't you take insurance for You need insurance for that. Don't you? So. <laughs> yeah, we only tell donations and I don't have a dollar amount. And I always say, I don't have a secretary. So if you feel led to give, just leave it on the table as we walk out and it'll be easy on both of us. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Awesome. That's, that's great. Yeah. I, you know, it is sad to me to hear, and I, and I see it in our area and Jim, you sit in your area, but the lack of pastoral 
confidence maybe to minister the scriptures and maybe training, you know, which is great that you guys are a training center because you can develop and help those guys and help those churches and God sees all that, you know? Um, and so I love, love what you're doing there. And I know your pastor, I say your pastor, I mean, you guys, how do you view pastor Mark? Man, I think he's awesome. I love that guy. Is he going to see this? <laughs> well, probably not. Our viewership isn't up, up to snuff yet, but maybe one day. Yeah, I'll send it to him. My relationship with him goes all the way back to the time whenever there were some good friends in seminary. They said, hey, we're graduating in one of our final classes. We have to be overseen by this guy. You'll take him next semester, so why don't you join us? And I walked in there ready to give it to him. I knew everything. And they, they all scattered and let me sit in the hot seat, which is directly square shoulders in front of them. But it was at a point by the, by the grace of God, whenever our previous church was really struggling, we had some real needs that needed to be addressed in my own life, my, my marriage, you know, we're finishing seminary. And so it was a, a great time of, of ministry and meeting at that point. And so in many ways, he's been a mentor and, you know, kind of the father figure in the growing that we've had over the past 13 years at Grace Bible Fellowship. But he's a, he's a wealth of information and uh, very, very kind, very uh, compassionate. And those things that you'd want out of out of a pastor and that you'd want to see Christ ministering to you. So I could say bad things, but um, no. <laughs> no, no, I really probably couldn't. <laughs> no, and I know you couldn't have Barbara, right? His wife. <laughs> she's she's an amazing lady. She's very talented. I'll, I'll tell you how amazing she is. Last year for my birthday, she gave me a birthday card that said, I owe you a cake. And they laughed in my face like, aha, that's funny. I saved that card just to get her back. And so I gave it back to her and she looks at it and it's her own handwriting. And so the next day at worship, she comes up with a little bag with this little cake in it. <laughs> I was like, I can't even pick on you. You still win. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, they're they're a wonderful couple. He shared his testimony. I won't share it publicly because I don't know. I wouldn't want to do that. It's his story to tell. But boy, his uh, his testimony demonstrated to me where his compassion comes from, and he really does care about people and what good for them and want them to know truth and the way he came to know Christ. Uh, it, it's a, he's an amazing guy in terms of what God's done in his life. Obviously none of us are amazing in our own rights. You know, it's, it's Christ in us. Um, but uh, God has really dramatically shifted the, the course of his life into a different direction. And I'm so glad because he's a, he's a real gift to the church. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I had a question. You, uh, this goes back to something you said earlier about working with a church that um, that was near a, a military base. Um, I was just uh, curious: Are they seeing a large amount of people in the military that are that are um, having uh, uh, that are that are abusing synthetics, or is it more typical? Um, you know, substances that, you know, the, the, the regular list of them, I guess I could call the regular list, you know? So. Yeah, we haven't discussed that in detail because much of what they're doing, they had previously been kind of ushered into the Celebrate Recovery groups. Uh -huh. My contact with them is pulling them out of that. But a lot of what they've talked about is actually physical and sexual abuse, mm. where the soldiers themselves are the perpetrators of it. So ministering to the whole family. So they have that combination there of the addicts and the abuse victims and mm. the perpetrators that are right there. But we haven't discussed the details of some of the addictions. Knowing where it's at, it's not too close to Nashville. 
but Clarksville, the city, it's of good size. So it's likely that some of these other things have trafficked in there and that they wouldn't have a lack of it. So I would assume that they're dealing with the synthetics and and I've read, I've read and, and, and uh, watched a, a couple, I don't know where I watched them, but, uh, but the, the people in the military, especially living on bases were more prone to using this. At first, the, all the head shops were opened all around the base. So they're like, they're, they're all over the base. And then they're using them a lot more because they don't have a test for a lot of them. So they can use the drugs and come back to the base and not get tested, fail a test. So that was the uh, that was the attraction to a lot of that stuff. So, but then, you know, like bath salts back when those were big, and a lot of these things, they they outlaw a chemical comp, uh, component, but then they just replace it with another one. And sometimes this creates really big problems for people with this stuff. Yeah, evil is always one step ahead for sure. sure. And I anticipate that that is something that is going on there. But at the point in their training, we haven't done specifics on that, but that is coming for them. So, and I've, I've sought to uh, get them once, once I got them rolling, introducing them to some of the materials and resources through the addiction connection. Mm. That, that, that's really, they need that as soon as possible. Well, in this segment, we really, we call it tack talk. We want to, this is our first time doing this. Uh, and we, we lost CJ. We had CJ. We were trying to have three hosts and he, his internet connection, he texted me and he said the internet's out in his area. There's thunderstorms and who knows what he's in Winterset, Iowa. So, um, you know, you can imagine what goes on in that town. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm teasing, uh, CJ, but, uh, but it's, uh, he had to drop, but this is our first time doing this. And the point is we're trying to, uh, highlight CABC counselors like yourself, Josh, and let people know you're out there and you're available and, um, as much as you can be, we don't want to, to, uh, monopolize your time too much with, tech requests and all that because you have church duties and all and all but uh man i'm i'm telling you this year i am as urgent about this as i've ever been i just think we have got to reach people before they use uh you know they're even finding i talked to a police officer today they're finding fentanyl in marijuana so like people are overdosing he, he this police officer he said he, he worked the shift uh, late last night and he said um his last situation to deal with <laughs> you can imagine being a police officer these days the last thing he had to deal with was a drug overdose uh in a like a safe home kind of uh addiction program and and uh and he said um you know, it's just sad. And so the guy was revived, thankfully. But uh, I just think there's an urgency that we have to get out and share the hope of the gospel with the addicted so that they can come to know Christ. And yeah, so, well, I think we lost Josh. Wow, nothing's going right today. <laughs> this is why it's a tripod with now it's a bipod, I guess, or a dipod. I don't know the proper term. Um, but we're anyway, we lost, we lost Josh, but, uh, anyway, I think our, we don't our, need any of those guys. <laughs> we got this. Why, got you know, this, who else, man. who else do we need? Well, uh, I think we're done. I think we've had a good day. Don't you? Yeah, man. It's always good to talk to you. I love doing this kind of thing. <laughs> well, we will do this again, hopefully with CJ. At Winterset, Iowa place. Have you ever been to Winterset, Iowa, Jim? Never. I need to go out there for a visit. You do. You do. It, it's great. It's John Wayne's birthplace. That's kind of their claim to fame. And a small town. I mean, very charming place. Warm people. I love his church and, and the refuge where CJ serves. And so, yeah, we got to get you out there to, to do. We'll do a conference or something out there one of these days. So that'll be good. Yeah. You got to see it. 
Well, I want to thank our viewers. This is our first uh, visual. I don't know what you call this, a video podcast. I don't know. I guess Joe Rogan and all those guys do these all the time, but we're kind of learning as we go. Um, but this, uh, this is fun. I mean, I, I don't mind being imperfect. I think it kind of shows our humanity. Uh, sure. Do we want to be more polished? Yeah, we'll get better at this, but yeah. right now, but you know, right now it's our first time and CJ disappeared and Josh disappeared and it's just you and I, but like you say, we don't need anybody. We got Jesus. We got it. We got it. <laughs> well, I want to thank you guys for tuning in. And uh, thanks to Jim Quigley at Freedom Farm. If you need help and you're a man or a woman, they have programs for either gender. And biblically, there are just two genders. So that's a controversial statement. Who knew that would be controversial? I mean, five years ago, 10 years ago, no controversy in saying that. But nowadays, that's, a, that's almost hate speech. But uh, grateful for what you do, Jim, helping serve families both men and women in your programs and and all that you do at freedom farm and the women's program slips my mind what's it called again it's carrie's home carrie's home man i it just slipped my mind you know i'm getting old so you are you are <laughs> i am my wife just had a pretty big birthday this past week and i can't say what number but it was a significant milestone so yeah. Um, but she's sharp as ever. So that's good. It's juice plus. Happy birthday, <laughs> Mary. Take a juice plus. <laughs> yeah. All right. We will sign off. Thank you, brother. Love Thank you. you, brother. Love you too, and man. We'll talk soon. All right. See ya. Take care and God bless. God bless. God bless.